Genesis chapter 11 and 12 today. We're going to back up to verse 27 of chapter 11 this morning, which is another Toledoth or genealogy, this one of Terah, Abraham's father. And this moves us from the description of the primeval world to the age of the patriarchs. Abraham is the next progenitor of the promised seed through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And of course, uh, that will be through the nation of Israel and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah. And the emphasis now centers on blessings that will come through Abraham as opposed to the many cursings we found because of man's rebellion in the first 11 verses of Genesis. We also have a greater emphasis here on the obedience of faith, beginning with the Lord's call of Abraham. And you'll notice that the name Lord, with all capital letters, is used exclusively in that calling of Abraham. And Lord is the personal covenant name of God. Now, from this passage, we're going to derive a number of truths concerning our own calling to follow the Lord as we observe Abraham's calling. First of all, the Lord's people are called to leave the world behind and follow him. We find this in verse 1 of chapter 12 and the background of that in the previous verses. And Jesus calls us today in much the same way to forsake all and follow him. Secondly, the Lord's people are promised great blessing if they leave all and follow him. This is true of Abraham. There's a series here of seven blessings that he will receive if he responds to the call of Jehovah God. Thirdly, the Lord's people respond in faith to his word. When Abraham heard the Lord, he obeyed. And we find that in chapter uh, 12, verses uh, 4 through 6. Excuse me. And uh, he will face many obstacles as he walks with God. Sometimes he will fail, but overall, he will remain steadfast to the Lord. And finally, the Lord's people proclaim his name as they sojourn through life, in verses 7 through 9. Wherever Abraham journeyed, he set up altars of worship as an expression of his faith in the Lord. Alan Ross nicely sums up this calling in these words. Those who truly believe the word of the Lord will forsake all else to become worshipers of the Lord and to serve in his program to bring blessing to the world. And that's our calling today as well. So let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that you revealed to us in your word who you are right from the very beginning, the creator God who uh, desires to bless people, but those people must put their faith and trust in him. We're thankful, Lord, that when you called Abram, he answered the call and he became the father of great nations, especially the nation of Israel, through whom the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, comes. Help us, Lord, to emulate him in our day and answer your call to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name, 
Amen. The first thing I want us to note here this morning from this passage is that the Lord's people are called out of the world. We find this beginning in verse 27 of chapter 11 down through verse 1 of chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1 first of all. Where we're told, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he says, you're to go out. You're to leave your country, your land, your family, your relatives, your father's house, your immediate family. And the previous paragraph explains to us then more detail about what Abram needs to leave behind. So let's go back there and take a look at this. First of all, we're exposed to the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So here again, we have a series of three sons. Adam had three sons back in uh, chapters uh, 2 and 3 described for us. Then Noah had three sons, and of those sons, Shem is selected. Now Terah has three sons, and of those three sons, Abram will be selected to carry on the chosen seed. Now we have described for us here also three lands, three countries. Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, Haran, and then Canaan. So let's take a look at these and just note a few things about them. First of all, uh, Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, uh, the Chaldeans later settled this land, and that would put in the mind of the people that Moses is writing to where this area was. But Ur existed far before the Chaldeans uh, did. And according to Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts, this was the place from which Abram was originally called. It was a very prominent city, highly civilized, established by the end of the third millennium. It was located in the southeast region of the Fertile Crescent, which uh, also was a port city right on the Euphrates River, and it hosted uh, a ziggurat, a tower similar to the one at Babel. This was named Ur-Namu, after the uh, king who really uh, led this city to its great uh, greatness. His name was Namu, but it also was dedicated to the moon god. So that indicates to us that although this city was civilized, it was a commercial site, it uh, had a civil government, it was also a center of polytheism. So the false gods of other nations began to develop very early on in rejection of Jehovah, the one true God. And when Joshua later addressed at the end of his career the people of God, do you remember what he admonished them? He said, put away the gods your father served on the other side of the river. The river he indicated was the Euphrates River on the other side where Ur of the Chaldeans were in other um, ancient civilized cities. So that indicates to us 
that before Israel even became a nation, her fathers worshipped false gods on the other side of the river. That would include Abram and his family before the Lord called him. So they're called out of a false religious system in a prosperous city, in a prosperous place to follow the Lord. So this is where it all begins. Now, we're told here in verse 31 that Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and he headed out toward Canaan. But they end up someplace else. They end up in Haran, if you'll look there in verse 31. They go out of the uh, Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, which the Lord has not really told them this is the land yet. And they came to Haran, and they dwelt there. They lived there. They settled down there. So Haran is about halfway to where they're supposed to be going. It's still in the Fertile Crescent. It's in the opposite end of Ur of the Chaldees. Again, a very populous city, uh, connected by trade and by religion to Ur. So pretty much the same kind of a background. And this is where they go. Uh, it could well be <clears throat> that um, Terah's clan, his larger family, actually derived from there, migrated down to Ur, and then head back that way, because later on in Genesis we'll find out that uh, wives for God's uh, people are selected from Haran. And there's, there's relatives there in the line of Abraham. So this is the background here. They were nomadic family because they had herds, they had flocks, and it could well be that they weren't actually settled permanently, but they're moving around this general area of Ur. They go to Haran, and they're migrating around that general area, but now God's calling him to go someplace else even farther away. So the promise of a land to which God would send Abram may have appealed to him, but in order to get there, he had to leave his current country, where he had grown up, where he was comfortable, where he was secure, where his larger family was, and go where God wanted him to go. Now, let's take a look here then at the family, the relatives, the house that Abram was going to leave behind. Now again, Terah is blessed with three sons. Haran, who may have been named from their original homeland, died before Terah, did in Ur. Verse 28 tells us, Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So that might indicate that Haran was born uh, in Ur as well as the other sons, even though they might have migrated earlier, uh, Terah may have from Haran. Okay, we're told then that, that Abram and Nahor, the two surviving sons, take wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife is Sarai. We find out later that Sarai is actually his half-sister. Uh, Naor takes his wife, Milcah, who is the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. So Milcah is Haran's niece. Now to us, that probably seems pretty repulsive. 
But back then, this was an accepted uh, uh, tradition, custom among native uh, or, or ancient people before the law came into play and before other problems with close relationships like that developed. So there was nothing wrong with this at that period in time. Now, the family begins to journey toward Canaan, but they sell, uh, settle there in Haran. And since Terah takes his whole family in this direction, as it says in verse 31, that may indicate that he was aware of Abram's call and in agreement with his call. And so as the head of the family, he leads them all in the direction that you would take. And perhaps the Lord led them this way. We're, we're not sure yet. But at any rate, they stop in Haran, a place that's similar uh, to Ur of the Chaldees. It's also interesting that later on in the stories of Genesis, when Laban sets up a pillar of peace between himself and Jacob, uh, he swears by the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father. So it may indicate that at this time, the whole family begins to worship Jehovah as their God and separate from these false gods of the lands around them. But only Abram and Lot are going to travel on to Canaan. Now, let's go back to chapter 12 and verse 1. And here we have either a reiteration of the call that God originally gave to Abram in Ur, or a second call to get him out of Haran, heading to the place that God wants him to be. The Lord's calling him to leave behind the things that are familiar to him, to leave behind the people who are closest to him, to strike out now in faith and follow the Lord to a place that he still does not know where it is or what it is. And the call of the Lord Jesus is similar. Remember his words when he said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And here is where Abram begins to lose his life and find the Lord and follow him. So, here we are. God calls Abram. What's going to happen now? Well, before we find out what Abram actually does, uh, the Lord uh, is going to give this man a series of blessings that will result if he will follow him. So the Lord's people are promised great blessing if they will follow him. We find this in verses 2 and 3, a whole series here of seven promises God states to Abram, and those who respond to God's call today are still going to to relate in some way to these promises he gave to Abram. So let's take a look at these. The Lord goes on to say in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. If Abram will leave his world behind, God will lead him to a land 
in which he will ha- he will become a great nation. Because the last part of verse one says, uh, "To a land that I will show you." So, in order to become a nation, you've got to have a land. We know what that land is. Abram didn't yet know that. And in order for that nation to develop, you've got to have a land, you've got to have some kind of a government, and you've got to have a common language. That's what's described to us back in chapter 10. And in this land, God will make Abram a great nation. And now that's going to take hundreds of years as we go through our journey in Genesis. Abram will never actually see that land in that way. And the nation God alludes to, of course, is Israel, but many other nations will proceed from him as well. And our connection to that, we may find, is, uh, is not possible, but if we go back to second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, we find it is. Our connection is not so much physical to that, but spiritual. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, uh, we see that connection. So let me just read those verses for you this morning. <clears throat> God speaks to uh, through Peter to his people in verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that promise of a great nation uh, was physical and spiritual to Abraham. Today, uh, for us, it is spiritual. We're part of God's kingdom, the great nation of his own people. Then God goes on to say, uh, I will bless you. Now, blessing in the Old Testament, especially Genesis, is related to two things. It's related to a progeny and material wealth. Now, through this, it's clear God says he will bless Abram with progeny. He will become a great nation. So the rest of the blessing has to do with material wealth. And we find that Abraham, indeed, will become a very wealthy man. That was a a sign of God's blessing on a person, especially in Old Testament days. Now, in our day, there are those who say that God promises us wealth as well, but that's not really true. Our wealth, again, is spiritual. If you recall the first few verses of the book of Ephesians, Paul writes there, Blessed be the God of our our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then he goes on and he lists some of those spiritual blessings, such as our election, holiness, adoption as sons, redemption, and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we are rich spiritually, and we are blessed more than we possibly ever could be uh, with those type blessings than just the material wealth that the world promises today. So we're connected to that as well. He goes on to say, and I will make your name great. So it's going to be a great nation. He's going to experience great blessing, and his name is going to be great. Now, that reminds us of Babel, doesn't it? 
uh, those tower builders determined to make themselves a name apart from God. They wanted to stick together and accomplish their selfish purposes without Jehovah God. But it's not human effort that makes a person great, at least not spiritually and eternally. And so Abram is going to become famous. He's going to exert great influence in that land for God because God granted him a name. God promised to give him a name. One commentator wrote these words, those who seek fame through disobedience will be given an infamous name, such as Babel. But those who seek to exalt the name of the Lord through their obedient service will be made famous. And in Christ, God has associated us with his name, which is above all names. And it doesn't matter if we're famous in this world uh, we will be people that are known in heaven for all of eternity. Thirdly, and this is, this is kind of a transition, uh, and you shall be a blessing. That's actually an imperative. You're going to be a blessing. And it tra- it's a transition from blessings that Abraham will receive from the Lord to a blessing that Abraham, because of that, will be to other people. So God will bless Abram in order that he might be able then to bless other people. And Abram will serve God by being both an example and mediator of God's blessing to the whole world. And in this way, he's actually a type of Christ and a model for Christians. And more than anything else, it's God's people who bring blessing to this world. The world will say that's a bunch of baloney, but it is true. The most influential people in the whole world are those who know the Lord Jesus Christ because they can bring spiritual blessing through him to those who they influence. He goes on to say then, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now here we see cause and effect, depending on one's attitude and relationship to Abraham. Those who bless him will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. Later on in the story, as it develops, you'll find out that when Pharaoh and Abimelech try to take Sarah into their harem, they're not blessed. But later on, when Joseph goes down into Egypt, Potiphar And the Pharaoh of that day are blessed because of what uh, Joseph does for them. So your attitude toward uh, Abram, his God, and his offspring is going to determine whether God will bless you or not. And in every generation, those who disdain the one in whom Abram places faith or who mock the trust that Abram had in God, they will face the curse of God or the blessing of God if their attitude is the opposite of that. It's interesting here, uh, as it goes on to say, I will curse him who curses you. The word for curse, are there, there are two different words. And the word curse you means to belittle, to treat lightly or disdain. God's curse is actually banishment from blessing like he did to Cain. 
So if you disdain Abram, God's servant, or you disdain the God of Abram, then God will banish you from blessing. And that's not just physical, that's eternal in nature. So again, very serious addition to this. God will bless those who bless Abraham, but he will curse those who curse him. Now, it goes on to say, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, we know what that refers to, don't we? That goes back to the promise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And it's messianic in its outlook. It ultimately will be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will leave his heavenly father, his heavenly family, if you will, his heavenly home. He will take upon himself human flesh. He'll pay the penalty of man's defiance and rebellion against God. And those who trust him, as Abram trusted God in the past, will be eternally blessed with the promises of salvation. So God is saying, Abram, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you in all these different ways. That leads us then to the third thought here. The Lord's people respond to God's word in faith. Verses 4 through 6. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So that is the action of faith. That's the obedience of faith. Abram leaves Haran, where his family had settled for a number of years, and he departs. Now the verb to depart here is related to the verb get out of your country. God says get out, Abram gets out. The same verb is used of Lot who went out. Same verb. Then down in verse 5, they departed. They went out. So these are verbs that connect to God's command and they do so in obedience. Abram trusted the Lord's words and showed it by answering the call. He left his world behind and followed the Lord. Lot went with him. And that seems to indicate that he wanted to share in the promises of God. He could have stayed in Haran, but he goes with Uncle Abram. Now we know that that doesn't work out real well later on, but it seems to have a good start. So they gather all their possessions, verse 5. Uh, note, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We, we don't have very many people here who are uh, older than 75. But imagine at 75, picking up roots and going someplace. Someplace you're not used to, someplace you know nothing about, and following God there. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, that would be the whole household of servants, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. All right, so Abram's getting older. Sarah, at this point in her life, is 65. Uh, She is very soon going to come to the place where she's not capable of having children. Abraham, not much longer than that. So how, then, 
Is God going to fulfill his purposes? So you see, faith has obstacles that test it. Abraham obeys, Abraham goes, but everything's not going to be easy here on out. There are obstacles to faith. And one of those obstacles is the very age of Abram and his wife, Sarah. How are they going to have children uh, if this doesn't happen fairly soon in life? That's going to be a persistent challenge to them over the chapters of his story. Then as they leave, verse 6 says, they came to the land of Canaan, and in verse, the last part of verse uh, 6, and the Canaanites were then in the land. So here's another problem. God promises to give him this land, but somebody else controls it. Somebody else lives in it. We know the Canaanites are an immoral and cursed people, according to chapter 9 and 10. So how's God going to give Abram this land to live in when it's full of God's enemies? And how's he going to conquer those enemies if he only has a few hired servants in his um, uh, greater entourage and no children? So here again is a challenge to his faith that he will have to look to God for. And then in verse 6, as we see references here, land of Canaan, land of Canaan, the Canaanites. This indicates something to us as well. It says in verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem. As far as the terebinth tree of Morah. Now Morah is a place name and there is a significant... um, emblem there, symbol, that tree. And that particular tree is a terebinth tree, which is mentioned a number of times in Genesis, in the Old Testament. And that tree was a very large tree. We think it might have been an oak tree. Gave a lot of shade. And in places like that, where it was prominent in the land, maybe not a lot of trees around it, that's where a Teacher would go. Mora means teacher. And in the land of Canaan, where there is no uh, recognition of Jehovah God, people would gather there, and typically they would worship their false gods and perhaps be taught by a false prophet uh, or want to hear an oracle from their false gods from this particular place. So this indicates to us that Abram is coming into a land at an older age. And in this land, people practice religion that was false and immoral and really an enmity against the one true God. So this, again, presents a danger of faith and worship as time goes forward, even when Israel becomes a nation. So there are obstacles that need to be faced as he sojourns in this land, even though he has stepped out in faith to follow God, that's not the end of the story. And the same is true of us today. We live in a land that is becoming more and more pagan, less and less religion of any kind, and we have to stand for the Lord just as Abram stood for God back then. So let's look at this last point, verses 7 through 9. 
And what we find here is that the Lord's people must proclaim his name as they sojourn through life. That's what Abram did. Now, in verse 7, now he comes to this land in verse 6. He passes through the land. He doesn't actually settle down any place. He's a nomad, and he never really does settle permanently in any resident. Uh, he's moving where his flocks need to go, things of that nature. But this is the land that God has promised. And verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So as he's in the land, now he's sojourning through it, he's traveling through it, the Lord appears to him. Now we don't know in what form the Lord took, whether this was a theophany or he just spoke to him as he had done previously. But the point is, what the Lord does is he assures us of his promises as we sojourn. And he repeats that promise, and he puts it a little bit differently. To your descendants, I will give this land. Now, he's in the land. He's fulfilled his promise to uh, show him that land. Now he's there, and he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. So not necessarily just to Abraham, but now to his descendants. And Abraham was reassured of this over and over for the next 25 years until Isaac was actually born. And what seemed impossible to Abraham had to be then acquired by faith. In this land occupied by other people, I'm uh, getting older in age, and the people here don't worship God. So the Lord today doesn't appear to us in theophanies and epiphanies, The Lord is in his word. We have his word today in our hands. So the word of God guides us today. It it gives us all the promises. It gives us hope and direction as we sojourn through the world in our lifetime. And everything we need to cope, everything we need to exercise faith and obedience and to worship and serve God is found here in his word. And there is an assurance to us every day as we walk with him through this life. Then we see that Abram demonstrates his faith through worship. And we also do that. We demonstrate our faith through worship as we're sojourning because this world is not our home, right? So what do we notice here? We notice that Abram doesn't really settle down. He's passing through from place to place. The first place he comes to is Shechem. The Lord appears to him there. And if you looked on a map of Israel to what God promised, Shechem is really kind of in the middle. It's it's central. And from there, he migrates southward. He goes to Bethel and Ai. Eventually, verse 9 says he goes to Negev, the dry land of the south. So he's passing through that land from north to south, everything God has promised to him. And everywhere he went, what did he do? He constructed an altar. In Shechem, where the terebinth tree was, the place that may have been used for false worship, he erects his first altar and he worships the true God. And that altar is a symbol of his faith as he lays claim to the Lord's promise 
that God will give him this land, his descendants will occupy it. And when we worship, whether privately or together, it's a demonstration of our faith, of our trust. And we're laying hold of God's promises and trusting in them no matter what's going on in the world. We demonstrate that we believe the promises of old are just as true today as they were when they were given to Abram. And this includes our belief that one day the Lord Jesus is coming back and he will rule the nations as the descendant of Abraham. And not only this, as we worship in faith, we proclaim the name of the Lord. As Abraham continued south, he comes to Bethel, another uh, religious place. It means house of God. He erects another altar. And what are we told in verse 8? He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, another altar. But notice it says, and called on the name of the Lord. That reminds us way back uh, to Genesis chapter 4 when uh, Seth was born. Seth then has Enosh, and it says, in those days, men began to do what? Call on the name of the Lord. So now Abram is calling on the name of the Lord. And the verb that's used there to call is related to proclamation. It's a term that was used for prayer or praise and worshiping the Lord. Interestingly, Luther translated preached. So he's proclaiming, he's calling on the name of the Lord. And as Abraham in faith worship the Lord, he's proclaiming him before that ancient world. He was lifting up the truth that there is one true God who must be honored. And in this way, wherever wherever he was, Abram proclaimed the name of the Lord who promised to make him a name. So if we want a name, then we need to proclaim God's name from which we derive our name. And as we worship the Lord in attitude and action, we too are proclaiming the truth of his promises to a world that needs it more than ever. So we follow Abraham in that way as well. So as we close this morning, consider these questions. You and I have been called out of the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you separated from it or are you caught up in it? That concept of separation follows through the whole Bible. God's people called out from the world. Secondly, you've received great blessing from God. So do you contemplate these blessings often? Do you praise the Lord for them? Do you realize that they are a result of your following him in faith? And thirdly, do you respond to God's word in the obedience of faith? 
Much of the problem, the first 11 chapters of Genesis were people not following the Lord, not calling on him in faith, and the end result is a curse. The curse on Adam and Eve, the curse of the flood, uh, the curse on Canaan, uh, the curse on the Tower of Babel, and very little of people of faith. But now that all changes. So we need to respond to the Lord in faith. That's the only way that we receive the blessings. And finally, are we proclaiming his name to a lost world as we journey through this life? Heavenly Father, we pray this morning your blessing again upon your people as they choose to follow you to obey your word. Uh, we receive the blessings. So, Lord, help us to be like Abram, who was called out of the world of the familiar uh, to a place he did not know, and yet, Lord, he trusted you all the way. Yes, he faces battles. He fails from time to time. But, Lord, overall, he is uh, the father of us all, the father of faith. So, Lord, help us in our life to emulate him and uh, be faithful to you until you take us home or till you come. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.